welcome to Autism in Color. We are your hosts, LaBecky and Siobhan. Today, we are interviewing Desiree Davis, a special education coordinator at a non-public day school in Maryland, which services individuals or persons on the autism spectrum, as well as with emotional disabilities. The school services grades K through 12 or up until age 21. Welcome, Siobhan. Hello, Ms. Davis. Hello. Hello, Ms. Davis. How are you? I'm doing well. Hi, Becky. Hi. <laughs> and uh, first of all, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to, um, you know, to do this interview with us. As you know, we keep autism on the table and in the conversation here at Autism in Color and uh, thought it would, you know, be a great addition to have you to give us some perspective as an educator of youth with autism spectrum disorder. So thank you, Ms. Davis. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I currently work in a school, as Becky previously mentioned, that services students on the autism spectrum, as well as those with an emotional disability. Um, the process for students even being in our school program all comes through their local public school. So we do not have private referrals. You cannot walk into our program off the street, although many have tried. You have to go through the IEP process at your home school, your neighborhood school, mm -hmm. in order to attend our school program. Okay. Um, many of the students that we do serve, this is their first school program outside of public education. We are considered a very restrictive environment. So when you look at you know, you have all your special education terms and jargon. When you look at what they call an LRE or a least restrictive environment, mm -hmm. they are considered very restrictive. Okay. All of the students in our program have an IEP. So our students are not with their non-disabled peers at all during the academic day. Oh, okay. That makes us a restrictive program. Right. Unlike in a public school where a student on the spectrum may transition to PE, they may go to art, they may have a reading or a math class with the general population of public school students, that does not happen in our setting. You are with us all day from the time you come in until the time that you leave. So let me ask you, I'm uh -huh. sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. So do the, do the children, do they move from classroom to classroom or are they in the one classroom all day and the teachers rotate? Very good question. So we have different programs within our school. So our school basically has four different programs inside of our walls. We have a K to eight autism program, a K to eight ED program, we have a high school diploma track program for students on the autism spectrum and a high school certificate track program for students on the autism spectrum. So depending upon where you fall will depend on what your day looks like. Our K through eight students are all self-contained, meaning they do not travel, they do not move, they have one teacher, they have one, the staff that they have during that school day is who they have. Mm -hmm. um, same with our K-8 ED program. And our 
high school career readiness certificate track program, those classrooms, those groups of students remain with one staff member. For those students that are in high school working towards a diploma, they will transition as if they were in a high school program. So they have an English teacher, a math teacher, a science teacher, history, right. technology. So they move throughout the building for instruction. Everyone else remains in one classroom for the entire day outside of going to PE or music or art. Gotcha. Knowing that autism is a spectrum, how do you all go about differentiating what students will, how students will be placed when they come into your program? So it actually happens when we receive the referral. So we receive a referral packet from our, again, buzzwords. We In education, we have all of these acronyms that mean all kinds of things. So from our LEA, from our local education agency, we'll send our school a referral packet with the student for us to review. We review that packet and determine whether or not we can meet that student's needs based upon our school program. So we are looking for where on the spectrum you fall, are those things that we can manage in the classroom? Many students may need specific devices. They may need specific services, speech, OT, physical therapy, audiological services, some services we don't support. And so that would make it that we're not able to service the student. Um, ABA services, we don't provide those in our school program. That is something we can work typically with families on to determine what that may look like in a school setting. But based upon the referral, we determine where in the program they would fit, but it doesn't stop there. So if they come, we start the program, we have them in a specific class and find out this is not a good fit with the other students, we can make a change. So we have the flexibility to say, nah, this isn't really working. We need to move this student to a class maybe where the students are higher functioning or lower functioning. And let me back it up a little bit because since you brought up spectrum, we do have the full range of students on the autism spectrum in our program. Okay. We have high schoolers who are nonverbal. Um, we have elementary students who are at grade level, um, but lack the social skills, lack the social awareness, may have social anxiety and aren't able to function in a larger setting. Um, we do not have any students with physical ailments. So we do not have any that are in a wheelchair or unable to maneuver throughout the building, but we do have those with communication needs. We do have students with some severe violent, aggressive behaviors. We have students that may still be in a pull-up um, and need assistance going to the restroom. We do not have students who need to be fed. So all of our students are able to use their gross motor skills. They may not be always on point, but they are able to. Mm -hmm. um, so we have that, that spectrum of behaviors and the spectrum of the disability within our building. As gotcha, well. gotcha. Wow. Because <laughs> that, that that was a whole lot yeah <laughs> how many students do you serve so our current student population is about 144 out of those 
probably, let's see, we have four classrooms with ED, probably 100 students. So we may have a little over 100 students who are on the autism spectrum that we serve. Okay, okay. Because we know that the students who are nonverbal still are able to communicate, are you all using some kind of communicative device to help those students to communicate? Or sometimes we find that folks on the spectrum have written language. So how are those students that are nonverbal able to communicate their needs within your school? Okay. Um, we have a range there too with our nonverbal students. So we have some who just aren't able to physically use the, the voice in that way, um, but they can gesture, they can write, they can do things of that nature. We have uh, two, three, three speech pathologists in our building. The majority of our students do receive speech and language services. We have some that have devices. Um, I think there's a GoPro, I don't quote me on these names right here. I've been in enough meetings to know the devices themselves. Some of our students come with devices to help them communicate. They're in very small chunks to say, maybe I want more or go to the bathroom with pictures so they're able to point and press. Um, it's not an issue of the student not understanding. It's the student being able to, being able to communicate back to us right. what they understand. Um, some of our students will use sign language, just very uh -huh. minimal sign language. Others use what we call low-tech devices. We have large um, charts that are visual with the words and pictures that go with walk, with sit, with bathroom, with I want. Um, so many students will use that and our speech language pathologists will send that home as well. So you're speaking the same language in school and at home. So when you want more of something or when you're hungry or when you need to do something else, some of our students who are considered more nonverbal don't have the uh, articulation or the, what is that word? The volume. So we can't understand you because of the volume. So we spend a lot of time like leaning mm, in, <laughs> leaning, looking, um, using gestures. We do a lot of repeating back with students. So there's a lot that goes into that, but we have to work hand in hand with our speech language pathologist. Um, and I'll back up a little bit because our IEP, the IEP drives everything that we do. Right. So we're looking at those goals. If written correctly, the goals will help the student to make progress in that area. So when you all do the IEPs, mm -hmm. do you help to, um, I'm sure you do, but just, I guess if you, let's say you get an IEP that sounds a little janky, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't, it wasn't done to optimize, that would optimize the, the, the student's abilities and, and what services they may receive. Do you all change them with the parents and the students right then and there? So what we do is, you know, we come in, they have IEP goals. Nobody knows yet. So, you know, we're collecting our data on the student, including speech and language and OT. We always have a 45 day review meeting, a 30 to 45 day review meeting, which functions as a mini many IEP meetings to determine is this still the appropriate placement? Is a student making progress? At that table, we can say these goals are not appropriate. 
and work towards making more appropriate goals, of course, based on data. We don't do anything without data. So it's not the, well, I think they can't right. know yet. This is a new environment. It's a new place. We've seen students come in with an IEP and they can do every single thing on there. Oh. And we're like, what in the world happened? But you have to look at that full environment, where they were, what the staff was, who were they comfortable? There's a whole bunch that goes into it. And then we've had some written and we're like, they can't do a single thing on there. What were you all looking at? Mm -hmm. But they were going based upon what the standards said. And we're like, we, there's no way we can get them to meet those goals. So then we need to adjust and tweak. But yes, absolutely with the parent, student, et cetera. Do you find that a lot of the students um, like actively participate in the IEPs where they're saying, no, I don't wanna do that. Yes, I wanna do that or I can or cannot, that type of thing? No. Not for our students on the autism spectrum. We may have some of our students with um, who are on with an emotional disability and mainly those students that are coming from DC. Our Maryland students tend to just say, okay, I've been a classroom teacher before and tried to help them understand you need to know what this document says. It's just black and white. It's not you. It's a document based on data that says you can do this or you cannot do this. Is that really a picture of you? You have to determine that. The mm -hmm. students sometimes are like, okay, and sometimes not so much. But our students on the spectrum, the parents are at times more involved because their students aren't able to advocate for themselves in that way. Mm -hmm. We work hard to help advocate for the student, but for those who are able to advocate for themselves. We do have some high school students that are earning a high school diploma and are able to say what it is they want to do, what it is they'd like to do. In our transition planning, they have to have a part of that. They have to express their interests, what they want to do after school, be it reasonable or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's still their likes, their dislikes, et cetera. Right, right. Wow. So with that said, we will take a brief pause for the cause, and we will be right back with Autism in Color with Lebecky, Siobhan, and Desiree Davis. Hi, this is Lebecky of Autism in Color. If you are listening to us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, or Google, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. That's autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. We want to hear your feedback, your thoughts on our shows. If you would like to be on our show, to do a commercial on our show, drop us a line at autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. That's autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you because we are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. This segment is being brought to you by Let's Talk About It, the Autism Center, Inc., serving young adults with ASD ages 17 through 40 and their caregivers since 2018. Check out our website to get to know more about us and find out about our upcoming events. Find us at letstalkaboutittheautismcenter.org. Email us at letstalk1922 at gmail.com or call us at 704 835 3605. 
Let's talk about it. The Autism Center, where we're keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Autism in Color with LaBecki and Siobhan and Desiree Davis. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies. I wanted to back up and ask when, I know you said that you all get IEPs from the different schools within the district for students who have a desire or their parents have a desire for them to attend your school. Do you do interviews with the parent and the student or is it just based on the IEP that you receive from the prior school? Okay. Um, so the process begins usually at what they call a central IEP meeting um, with our local education agencies. They, they know our program very well. So they'll send the referral to us. We'll look at it. It'll have more than the IEP. It'll have an FBA, which is a functional behavior assessment, behavior intervention plan, we will receive the psychological, we'll receive um, any previous assessments that were, were completed. So we go through the whole list and then an interview is set up um, with the parent. It may not, it may be foster parents, it may be social work, it may be social workers, it may be social services, whomever is the guardian of that student. The student is nine times out of 10 there. There are very few times that the student is not a part of the interview. Mm -hmm. um, we'll interview, we give our, you know, talk about our school program and allow the parents to ask questions as well. During that interview, we're also paying attention to behaviors, et cetera. In the right. Zoom world, it's been a little different. You know, we see some things, um, doesn't mean that it's something that would say, oh, we can't service this student. It's just, it gives us a view of what that student, what goes on with that student when they're not able to get something or do something because now the parent's busy. Um, and then a tour is scheduled. So okay. they come into the building to tour as well so that they can see our program, what it looks like. We can meet them in person um, have those conversations. I mean, even over the summer, I was there for one over the weekend because it was the only time they could come. But the parent often has a choice of school program. So they can decide this isn't it. They didn't like what they see or they like somewhere better um, based upon referrals that were sent to different places. So it's a pretty extensive process that happens because we really want to ensure that we can meet the students' needs. So tell me, what are some subject matters that you all are teaching the students who are on the spectrum? So they'll receive all the subjects that a student who is not on the autism spectrum will receive. So everyone in our program is still receiving everything they would receive in public school. The issue is how we differentiate that work, what levels they are working on, and depending upon whether or not they're working, once they reach high school, whether or not they're working towards a certificate of completion or a diploma will determine what courses they are taking. If you're working towards a diploma, it is just as if you're in a public school. You have to take your, your English 9, 10, 11, and 12, your biology, your chemistry, you know, all of those right. things and pass the assessments. There okay. are no 
you know, there are no breaks in this. This is, you know, you are a student with a disability. You are not a disability. So it does not mean you cannot reach those goals. It's up to us to kind of bridge the in-between to help you to meet those goals. Those, I like it. I yeah, like those it. students working towards a certificate of completion is a little different because they don't have to meet the same level of requirements. We're preparing them for what life is going to be like as an adult. So we're trying to give them the life skills. You will need be that you're at home, you're in an independent living facility, you're in an assisted living facility. That's our job there to help prepare for life after school and as an in the adult world with How that, you, go ahead becky i was going to say with the certificate program is it geared more towards vocational yes okay. so when i said we could service students up until the age of 21 that is where our certificate of completion comes in so if you're working towards a certificate of completion you can remain in school until the age of 21 or 22 if it's dc and we're working on vocational skills, life skills, social skills, self-advocacy. Um, you know, we're so for, for many, we're looking at, you know, are you are you able to dress yourself and brush your teeth? And how can you communicate in the workforce? So we have an on-site work facility. Oh, cool. That's real nice. It is. We also have partnerships outside. So our students have worked at Old Navy. Michael's, um, something we call Food and Friends that delivers food to the elderly. Um, there was another couple of other places that they work. We're kind of in limbo right now with COVID because right. you have to have your vaccine. You know, there are certain other requirements that have to happen first, but we've, our students have gone, they clean, they've prepared food, they stocked items, looking at providing them those skills they'll need. And in-house, we have a kitchen, we have a cottage, which is like a hotel room. We have washer and dryer. We have, uh, there's something else we have there. Um, But there are opportunities for them to work and receive those workplace skills. And they get workplace reviews based upon that. Can you keep pace with your peers? Are you able to take a break and come back? What kind of assistance do you need? Do you need visuals? Do you need verbals? Do you need gestures? How many prompts? All of those things so that we're able to help them as they move beyond school. We also have a transition coordinator who works directly with the Department of Disability Administration and um, Department of Rehabilitation Services to help the parents start the process, you, you become on a waiting list so that you can have services after you leave school to help with job coaching, to help with independent living, to help with those areas. The, um, the hard part for that is it requires the parent to have to follow through mm. exactly what the government agencies are saying. We can't do that for them. We can help you through the process. Um, We can help you obtain um, your social security benefits um, for for here, what we call Metro access to to receive services, to ride Metro for free, the bus, or be that um, the vans that come for those with disabilities, which also means your family can ride as well. So there are lots of different services, but the parent has to be able to follow through with them. And many do, many do. Really great. 
Sounds like a great program. It really does. It, is. it really it is. does. It really, really does. And um, what did I want to ask? I had it in my head and you were talking and it just, <laughs> I was excited and then it left. <laughs> um, I guess with regard to the transitions and things like that, mm -hmm. um, they're also transitioning from being minors to adults. Correct. Is there any assistance to the families with regard to like guardianship or anything like that? So those things um, don't fall under our purview within the school, but mm -hmm. we do help parents partner with outside agencies to do so. Okay. Um, many parents as part of the transition process, which must begin when the student is turning 14 within their IEP year, there's a parent interview as well for mm -hmm. that. So the parents are directly involved in this so that we know what are your goals for your child as well? Not just your child's goals for themselves to know, do you see your child living independently? So that our transition coordinator can help to guide them in the right direction for outside services. So mm -hmm. our transition coordinator is the bridge between our school and outside agencies that can assist parents with different things. What are the names of some of the outside agencies? If you, if you know, oh, or if you, boy, now you don't know, mm -mm, that's okay. not <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. I mean, outside of so doors, which is the department of rehabilitation services and DDA, the department of developmental um, agency, I believe that's what it's called. They have different organizations that fall underneath of them. Oh, um, gotcha. Okay. Um, there's also the Department of Labor. They change the name every now and then. Um, so I don't know if I'm speaking correctly on what the latest name is. Mm -hmm. um, but through them, there are, you have different agencies that then you can connect with. But I don't know the names of some of, of those, those agencies. Got you, got you, got you. Wow. Um, with regard to, and I'm going to back up a little bit. With regard to behaviors, mm -hmm. um, you said some some of the youth have some um, aggressive behaviors and things like that. Yeah. How do you manage those? So within our school program and all non-public schools have a form of an approved therapeutic behavior program that is utilized. A part of that program, there is physical restraint techniques that all staff are trained on yearly. You have to be recertified. Any new staff coming in have to be certified in that. So everyone in our building minus our office manager are fully trained in the program. Um, nothing is ever done individually. So we have um, students who will throw things throw computers, um, try to break doors, um, hitting staff, biting. We have biters, uh, scratchers, a grab. Um, mm -hmm. So we have different techniques that are utilized. Um, there are a couple of students where the staff members that are working directly with them will wear padded sleeves mm -hmm. um, because many times these are the students who are nonverbal and are not able to communicate in the words that we understand. Doesn't mean they're not communicating. Just not right. we understand. They're communicating. <laughs> right. And when they reach out, they reach out. Um, 
And so we have to be as proactive as possible. Of course, using our words is always first, using our words, using proximity. You know, we have a behavior tools program as well that is all verbal Mm -hmm. to utilize, when to ignore, jump behavior, student on on autism autism spectrum will also do that, just things because they know you will react. Um, So knowing when something is just junk, as we call it, or is this really a behavior? Mm -hmm. And for us to implement any type of physical restraint program, it, the behavior must be continuous uh, aggression, either continuous self-injury or continuous high magnitude disruption. So it has to be a continual issue that is happening. Not a, I just threw the computer and I say just, but I live in that world. Um, mm-hmm. I threw a computer down the hallway. That is not a reason for a physical restraint or for right. anyone to move in to try to subdue the student. That was a one-time incident. Okay, now we've got to process what happened. Um, we do process with our students on the autism spectrum. We Sometimes we use charts. We use something um, called um, the zones of regulation to determine okay. where you are. Are you in a green zone? I'm happy. I'm good. I'm up. You in a yellow zone? Eh, maybe not so much. We have a blue zone. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And we have a red zone. I'm angry. I'm there. We okay. use that program with every student in our building. So do they do they point these things out or do they yes. verbalize these things? Yeah. So we teach them in okay. our weekly social skills groups with our social workers. We teach them so they understand what they mean, whether they have to color it, they can speak it. Um, I know in some of our classrooms, they have the students use little um, clothespins to place Mm -hmm. their name next to where they are because it can change at any minute. It's also up to the staff. As we say, you have relationships with your students. You have to know your students. So you know when there's a trigger, you can see it, you can feel it. So we don't, and many times, unfortunately, it can be us that set the students up for non-success, right? Mm -hmm. Or that event that's coming. And so we have to process that ourselves to say, what could we have done differently? Um, So our teams meet twice a week after school to go through those things. Okay. Do you, do you have, I guess, some sort of communication set up with home to kind of, I guess, forewarn you, uh, Jimmy had a bad day uh, or had a, a rough night. Um, he didn't get a lot of sleep last night, you know, whatever, whatever, so that you all can kind of keep an eye on Jimmy <laughs> when he's when he's when he gets there to say, okay, so we know we need to keep an eye on him and to, you know, a, a address the fact that he he might have a heart a hard day how can we change the the trajectory of things sometimes we do and sometimes we do not um our social workers are that first line for parents in the school building um unless there's an administrator like myself that they're more comfortable with they may shoot a text or an email we don't always get that sometimes we can tell that right off the bus in the morning okay something's different or the bus driver will tell us, hey, such and such set everybody off on the bus. So it is up to us to then alert the classroom staff 
you know, there may be more behaviors or we may need to allow the students some time and space Mm -hmm. because the bus ride was difficult, um, you know, due to other students on the bus or the bus being late or anything that could happen. Right. Um, Yeah. The bus is late. That's that could be a big problem. Many times what happens is the student has behaviors. We call home to say, hey, is anything different? And then we get the full story. And we're like, oh, "Oh, yeah, that would have been nice to know, you know, at (laughs) nine o'clock. But (laughs) we are. Before the computer went flying down the hall. Before that happened. (laughs) Before the computer took flight. All right. With that said, we will take another brief pause for the cause. We are here with Autism in Color with LeBecky and Siobhan and Ms. Davis. Hi, this is Siobhan calling all small businesses, independent artists, and nonprofits. If you have a product, service, or music that the community absolutely needs to know about, contact us. You can reach us at autismvibesradio at gmail.com. That's A U T. I-S-M-V-I-B-E-S-R-A-D-I-O at gmail.com. You can also call us at 704-325-9706. That's 704-325-9706. Call us and let's put your business in the streets. This segment is being brought to you by Let's Talk About It, the Autism Center, Inc., serving young adults with ASD ages 17 through 40 and their caregivers since 2018. Check out our website to get to know more about us and find out about our upcoming events. Find us at letstalkaboutittheautismcenter.org. Email us at letstalk1922 at gmail.com or call us at 704 704- Eight three five three six zero five. Let's talk about it. The Autism Center, where we're keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Autism in Color with Lebecky Siobhan and Desiree Davis. Desiree, I have a question about how many students are in a classroom, and in that classroom are there paraprofessionals? Okay. Um, so in our setting, it the number of students in a classroom can vary. Typically, it's nine is the max. Once we hit 10, we start looking at we have to open up another classroom. However, in our K-2 classrooms, the number is six for the max of students in a classroom. And I know that number sounds like, oh, I wish I only had nine kids. Nine kids, all with an IEP, all with different goals and objectives, all with different varying behaviors and home lives and et cetera. That's a full classroom right there. Um, our Each of our classrooms has a teacher and a TA. Um, and for paraprofessionals, it is all driven by the IEP. So we may have a classroom that has six students and six paraprofessionals and another classroom with six students and no paraprofessionals because it's not in a student's IEP. We're not able to, um, by law, that student is required to have that service. It is a service. That service is there for 
behavioral issues, not because a student is not able to do something. There are specific behaviors that have prevented them from being able to access their education consistently. And they have an aid that is there with them to help them get through those issues so that they can sit in front and receive instruction. One of the things that we also have to have as part of having paraprofessionals in any classroom are fade out plans, because that is a service that you hope to remove so that the student can be more independent. Absolutely. Many students students become dependent on, I have this adult and I know this adult will do that for me. So why should I even bother to to do this, to learn this, to use my communication skills if you're just going to communicate for me? Right. That is so true. Students will take advantage Mm -hmm. of the situation given Mm -hmm. the opportunity. Absolutely. And who can blame them? Right. I would too, you know. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Can you get that for me, please? Right. Mm -hmm. Could you rub my pinky toe? Right. (laughs) Any of it. Any of it. It's going to make me feel better. Um, (laughs) who, Who pays for all of this? So all of our funding comes from our individual counties and through the state. So ultimately, the Maryland State Department of Education is where our funding comes from. They set rates. So it works by rates. They set rates for how much they will pay for each student just for the instructional component. If a student receives speech services, occupational therapy, uh, physical therapy, any of those services, that's an additional amount that they will fund. And then if a student has a paraprofessional one-to-one dedicated aid, whichever term you'd like to use, that's additional funding on top of that. So each student that we service in our building comes with a certain allotted amount. And that is set at the beginning of the school year. And those rates don't change. No matter if anything else in life changes, those rates don't change. And we have to submit what we call cost sheets in order to receive our funding. Wow. So you know this number of kids is coming this year. And so, and these are the particular services that this many kids has, that many kids has, blah, blah, blah. And that will determine how much money you're building, your your um organization receives correct over the course of the year correct wow it could fluctuate because we lose students we gain students so it all depends it switches mm-hmm. how often does a student receive pt ot and speech throughout the week and is it individualized and group um so it varies again every the iep drives everything um, typically, there are some students who have who may have two 30-minute sessions of speech a week. Some may have it once a month. Um, some may have it once a quarter. So it really depends on the needs of the student and what some students may have pragmatic language skills, just really how do I how do I use my words? Sometimes they don't get as much service for that, but it all depends on the student. Same thing with occupational therapy. We have very few students in our setting with physical therapy for the, I think we have two maybe, and their monthly services, just because we don't typically service students who have more of those mobility 
issues in our program. So that will vary. They are mostly individual services. What you will find is speech will like to push into the classroom because the best way to utilize your language is in the setting you use it. Mm -hmm. Um, So they will have individual pull-out sessions, but then when you want to practice, you want to be in the most natural environment to practice those services. That was one of the benefits and why we were able to, a student might not have shown up for class during virtual learning, but they were there for speech and they were there for OT because they're in their natural environment and can utilize those things right away with the people that they know and are comfortable with. This that is, is this true. Is an incredible program. <laughs> right. Really good. It's so it's so unfortunate that a parent can't find you or Google you or see that you're there and try to get their student in themselves. But I guess they could go through their school if they really mm-hmm. want to try to get their students in this program because it's, it sounds like there is this fullness there. There is. There is. It is a, a, a full program. Um, and it's a it can be difficult. For parents, we do understand the state and county side of things. You want to be able to provide those things in-house. You want to be, that should be the goal that everyone is receiving these services and has these, but with the number of students they have and being able to provide what we're able to provide, the smaller classroom settings, et cetera, is not as simple as it sounds. Right, right. But with the with with the small classroom settings, it sounds like the students are really getting what they need. What they need. Yes. Because it makes a difference when you are on the spectrum and you're you're in a classroom and it's the classroom is small rather than a big class where you're lost in space and you're really right. not paying attention. So you can't help but to pay attention in these classrooms with them being small and the teacher noticing you. That's right. There was, one more, there was something else I wanted to say. Oh. Do you all have anything for the caregivers? Do you offer anything for the caregivers? Any kind of services for the caregivers? Parent support groups? Anything like that? Good question. So we have previously provided a um, a parent group. We started it, who, um, maybe three or four years ago, at night twice a month for our parents to participate in. At that point, we were still in, you know, we were in the building. This was pre-COVID. The turnout isn't as high. Mm -hmm. Um, So we tried to really look at what day of the week it was, who was coming. And we had um, our social worker and behavior team leading that because they're looking at, we looked at all kinds of things from the IEP to self-care for yourself, Um, advocacy, you know, we did painting with parents, those who participate really enjoyed it. Um, We attempted something during virtual learning. And I think the world was where it was. And we weren't able to sustain it. Um, Our environment, our days are long. Mm -hmm. Um, So by the time we come to an end of a day or get a break, I'll be honest with you, nobody is thinking of anything. We're thinking of our own family and our own care and our own because we have to take care of ourselves too. There's a lot of burnout in education, particularly special education. um, And it's hard to manage it both. You have to get the right group, the right people. Right. Right. What we do do though, our parents are, we're accessible. 
to parents during the day. Uh, you can text, you can, coming up to our school to visit, we have, all of our students have privacy rights. So, you know, parents don't get to just drop in and I want to sit in the classroom. That's how it works because all of our students have an IEP. There are some, you know, there's lots of legalities that can be around that just to drop in. But many of our, we've built a network where you can call our office manager and get what you need. You know, talk about my lights are off. Um, you know, the social work team will say, hey, or even our office manager, these are some resources or we'll find the resources. Um, mm -hmm. make, I make it very clear. I uh, <coughs> manage for all Maryland students at the IEP that we are here for the family. So we may not be able to physically provide some things, but we compile lists of agencies you can utilize. Um, you know, we've been in meetings and there have just been tears and we're there for that. You know, we have angry parents. We have, there's a lot that goes on in the world of our families. And as I tell our staff, when you come to that table at the IEP, it's yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. That's it. Right? They are the That's family. Right. They are the expert. Just because we're in here every day, doing this work, those, the, those students go home and that life still happens. And many of our parents have had not had success in school either. So we are really have to remember when we're working with the students, we're working with that whole family, no matter what our beliefs or biases may be, we have trainings for ourselves in school so that we can communicate better so that we can do better with a whole family, because that can be difficult too. That is true. You, when you're dealing with a child that's on the spectrum, you're dealing with the entire family, mm -hmm. and and you, yes, and we must take that into consideration as well. What are the hours of your school? So for our students, our hours are eight thirty to three. Our staff are there from eight to four. On Wednesdays, our students have an early dismissal at one o'clock and our staff participate in professional development every Wednesday afternoon from two to four. Sounds like an awesome program. I mean, oh my gosh. For the staff, for the students, everybody's benefits. Everybody, we have a lot. We have, um, as part of our administrative team, we have uh, our principal, of course, we have a dean of instruction we have two instructional coaches, and this is new for us to have this many people providing this amount of, of service to our staff and students. Mm -hmm. um, two special education coordinators, I case manage for Maryland, my counterpart case manages for DC, which is a lot trickier because DC has a lot of charter schools and charter mm -hmm. schools function very differently than public schools do. Um, and we have, I feel like I'm missing someone. We have a clinical supervisor on our team that then supports everybody else in the building. So when it comes to, for example, an IEP meeting, we have mock, we're going to have mock IEP meetings. So you can understand because many staff want to come to the table and they want to talk about the behavior. As I've told them before, I don't really care about the behavior at the table. Coming to the table is to talk about the students' positives. What do they know? Where do Absolutely. they need to go? Right? The parent yes. understands whether or not they come back and say, oh, when we've all heard it, my child doesn't do that at home. Mm -hmm. It's okay. 
I'm, I'm not here to disagree with you. You got it. But this is what they do here. So how can we help? Right. Here are there things you're doing at home that we could try. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're not the expert. We are here doing our job. We're learning, we're working, but we're partners. We're we're true partners with the family. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay because we're not able to service every student. Right. And that's okay. They may need something different. Different. Right. Um, and there are different non-public schools that offer different things. There are some that offer the family counseling. There are some that it's a requirement as part of their program. So we vary. What is the percentage of staff members who've had experience in the autism world that are currently in your school? Um, you mean prior to coming to work with us or? Yes, because, you know, you have some people who who've never met a person on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. So they have no clue. Right. But then you have those who, you know, been in the the field game, so to speak. Right. They've been around and they've had. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but (laughs) (laughs) they've had experience experience with those who are on the spectrum. Because when you've had experience with those on the spectrum, you kind of know how to deal and you know that everyone is different. You have to deal, you have to treat each one individual. Right. Um, So it's, um, it's a tricky question to answer because trying to find educators to work in a school like ours is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what I um, wanted to know. It's very difficult because you're in this all day. You're in this from eight to four. You know, when this, when that door opens at 8.30 till the, they get on that bus at three. It's on and popping. It's on and popping. <laughs> um, you have to have your special education certification. You have to have certain courses for that, there are all kinds of things you still need to have to be certified to work in this field. You can cross the street. Our school is right across the DC line, go into DC and work and you don't need that. But in Maryland, you need to have this, 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 and this for this money over mm-hmm. here and to deal with behaviors and six kids in a class that are working on six different levels and you going, what? And they're asking me to write the IEP and do the grades and do the lesson plan and all of these kinds of things. And then the parents are mad at me. And then, they, you know, I didn't get something, something done. Many times we don't get teachers who are knowledgeable mm-hmm. of anything when they come to our setting. They're like, oh, I've taught. Oh, I worked in a school with students with special needs. Right. It's right? not that the same. Umbrella or special right. education. And the students that they work with might have had a learning disability. Right. Let me tell you how different that is. Yes. Or, Indeed. you know, they think, I have a cousin. I always say that my little brother has this or my so-and-so has this. And you have to help them to see we have boundaries and they are very clear. And although your brother or your cousin or whomever may have these characteristics, they are characteristics. This student is an individual. Right. Um, And then we have those that come in and know 
who have been in the field or worked with students on the spectrum, work with students who, um, we have more teachers that come in or staff that come in that have worked with students who are intellectually delayed or adults who are in that realm. Coming over from adults to children is a difficult piece as well. Mm -hmm. We also get um, many people who come in from juvenile detention centers mm -hmm. or areas like that. It's a very difficult transition because we're not in the world of you just do what I say because I said it. Nope. <laughs> right. We live in. And we don't go no. hands on immediately. Right. And a student, you know, on the autism spectrum may need that more time to process what you're saying. I don't even have exactly. any idea what it is that you said. And we have some pretty big kids that we're working on. Uh, this is a black male who's going to go out there and you're going to touch somebody and that somebody is not us. That's so right. How do we prepare you for that world, which is where our PDs come in and are on the spot training. And this is why it's important yeah. for our administrators to be throughout the building and those um, seasoned teachers. Right. Right. Out, you right. know, and really get in there and say, yay, nay. This is how happened. we do it. Right. This, this is how, is how we, we do it. Thank you, Ms. Davis. Thank you so much. You have given us a, an incredible amount of perspective from the educator's point of view, um, you know, in the, in the broader sense too, just um, what happens in the classrooms, what happens in the IEP rooms, you know, to manage and help families manage what's going on with their students with ASD autism spectrum disorder. So we would like to thank you very much for your professional perspective. Absolutely. And you know, I love you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us here on um, Autism in Color. And hopefully, you know, we get to speak another time and um, yeah, do some more, uh, some more proms and parties and right. things. Some more, those yeah, some more of those things. Look, if we survive the uh, whatever is coming next. Right, okay. right, right, right. All right. So we will see you next time on Autism and Color with LaBecky and Siobhan. Take care. Jaden is the type of child or, or son 
to where he doesn't let things bother him um, despite what he may have in regards to uh, understanding that he does have autism. Matter of fact, when he found out he had autism, he didn't even know that he had it. It was more so, oh, you know, can you explain to me what it is? And we just said, son, you just process things differently. Doesn't mean you're not intelligent. Doesn't mean that you have to do anything differently. You just process things differently um, than, than most that, you know, of your peers. But one thing I noticed is that, you know, even before that, or even now knowing that he has autism, you know, he doesn't let that um, stop him from being successful. Um, I can recall on several occasions, you know, throughout his, his younger years, primarily even in eighth grade, you know, that he said, hey, I want to run for SGA president, or I want to run for student body president. And so I said, well, let's go ahead and do it. And the key thing was, it was just a matter of understanding that, you know, he wanted to use his voice, not necessarily just from an autism perspective, but just his voice, knowing that he had the, just the know-how of how to reach his, his class and how to reach the school and what he wanted to do as SGA president. He had his platform. And, you know, as we, you know, as I want to mention, you know, he enjoys music, he enjoys um, hip hop, he enjoys jazz and gospel. And he, he uses that to also um, express his voice, you know, in a, in a great way. Um, you know, when my wife and I named Jaden, you know, it, you know, he was a preemie. So, you know, he was, you know, a little over two pounds, two pounds, 11 ounces to be exact. But more importantly, we named him Jaden because that means, you know, God has heard. And we know that for him, God has heard that he knows that his life, you know, has importance. And so Jaden, you know, now that he's a junior in high school, you know, he's a two-letter, um, two-year letterman in track and field. You know, he, he does a, you know, a great deal of involvement, you know, with his church, um, with different organizations in his community. And he does great in school. Um, of course, you know, with the need of assistance, you know, and he has, you know, his different um, accommodations, but he, he still understands he, he can be successful and he understands how he can be helpful and a, and a great child and a great person in, in today's society. So as his dad, I'm, because again, it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you have autism or not. It's just a matter of, do you have the right attitude towards life? And do you have the passion to do what you, you love? And I think a lot of times, you know, that's what we need to follow. Um, you know, do you have the passion? And I know our son Jaden does. This has been the Autism Moment on Autism in Color.